0: And let's take our Bibles this morning, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Children, you are dismissed at junior church time. Thank you for being here today. And you can follow your leaders out right out this side door over here to my right, okay? God bless you, kids. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And um, we're going to look today at the rapture of believers. The rapture of believers. A couple of weeks ago, I guess about 10 days ago on a Wednesday night. I did kind of an exposition of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, and just more from the approach of how do we study our Bibles. And we brought out some ideas there uh, from the Scripture about uh, the end times and about the rapture. But I'd like to spend some more time just on that concept of the rapture of believers today. Here's why it's very important. There's such a fear today among believers. Such a fear among believers. There really is to what we are seeing in our world. And uh, we see the, uh, you know all the things going on with COVID and vaccinations and such, and I'm hearing from a lot of people, well, this is the mark of the beast. Well, I want to show you from the Bible today that that's just not possible. All right? I just want to show you that. And uh, you say, well, is it maybe pushing in that direction? Maybe. If we truly are in the end times and we are nearing the return of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... There's no doubt that the devil, who is very subtle and very crafty, uh, would use this kind of thing to perhaps inf- uh, to, to mold our minds into thinking this is what we should do, but it is not the mark of the beast. You say, why? Because there is no beast. There is no beast. And the problem is, is we get the idea of the rapture and the tribulation in the wrong order. And when we do that, it messes up all the rest of our theology about the future. And so I want to show you biblically today where we stand. Now let me say this, over the years, uh, in the last 30 years, I have heard that UPC scanners, you know when you go in the grocery store and you scan your groceries, or you go to Walmart and you scan your own now, that's the mark of the beast, I've heard that. Uh, I've heard that uh, the, the, the chips in our, our debit cards is the mark of the beast, or it's leading to a one-word banking system. I I know for a fact somebody that when we got debit cards would not use a debit card for about two years until they finally broke down and started using it. I've heard cell phones are part of the mark of the beast because they can track everybody. Everybody has one. And I knew of Christians that would not have a cell phone for that reason. But how many of us do not use those things today? I'm just saying that we, we have these little fads in Christendom. And we have to be very careful... Because you don't want to look crazy, to be honest with you. And so let's, let's find out what the Bible says. And let's get things back in the right order. Understand this, the mark of the beast, and we're not, I'm not going to preach or teach on the mark of the beast this morning, but the mark of the beast is a sign of allegiance to the beast. It is pledging, your, understand that the beast himself will sit down on the throne in Jerusalem and declare himself to be God, and those that worship him will receive a mark that they might be able to buy or sell. And if you do not pledge allegiance to him, you will, you will never be able to buy or sell. You'll be hunted down and killed, very likely. That is the mark of the beast. It's almost, if you will, like the mark of Cain. The mark of Cain was there to protect him. God put a mark on him and set him apart from the rest of the world. But in contrast, the devil always has a counterfeit. And he will do the very opposite. He will put a mark on people that protect them from being hunted down and killed and allowing them to buy and sell. And so we always see those parallels in the Bible back and forth. God does something and then Satan does something. And so I just want to show you this morning, biblically speaking, when the rapture will take place, and, and, and don 't write down in your Bibles right now, or get on Twitter in your seat and say, "Pastor 's about to set a date i 'm not doing that." All right We sometimes think that. I want to show you where, where the rapture is in relation to end time events and the relation to specifically the tribulation. And so let's look at the Word of God this morning. We're going to be in a lot of scriptures. I, we didn't sing as long as we normally would today. I wanted to give us some more time, and everybody's looking up their watch saying, wonderful, we'll be out of here early. Uh, don't count on it, because this is important. And uh, I've come to learn that it's important that when we uh, want to be specific about a message, try to get it into one service. And, and we, we tend to rush things if we do that, but it's important uh, because when it's, when it's this weighty of matter, we don't want it to go several weeks and people will miss out on things that are very important scripturally speaking. Uh, it, we, we have to be very careful not to be Bible illiterate. And, and as a society, I think that's what we are becoming. And I, I just saw the news the other day and somebody said, well, I just believe this hurricane coming in. How many? Have, uh, I, I've received 100 jokes about Hurricane Ida. All right, um, brother Judge saw one on Twitter, and it says, "Ida is about to go boom." Is that what it said? He said this scared me. <laughs> Scares me too. And uh, so I've heard a hundred jokes about Hurricane Ida. Uh, I've lived with it twenty-seven years, so I I understand. I heard a lady on the news say that she believes that Hurricane Ida is the judgment of God. And she said this, she says, God is going to separate the sheep from the goats. So she's pulling something out of scripture. God will one day separate the sheep from the goats. Understand that sheep, in in a biblical context, are those followers of Jesus Christ, the great shepherd. That's a good thing. She says, but I ain't no sheep. I'm a goat. And she meant that as the positive, biblical illiteracy. No clue what that really meant, what she just said. What she was saying is, I'm unsaved and on my way to hell. Because I'm outside the covenant of God's fold. That's where the sheep are. And so it's important that we are biblically literate. I find that in times of peril, in times of sorrow, we often say things that are unbiblical to comfort ourselves. Very, very strange. We often believe that that unbelievers are all in heaven, even though we know in our hearts that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But we comfort ourselves with some other doctrine. I was at a funeral one time where somebody said, well, you know, today they have their glorified body, their glorified body. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us we receive a glorified body after the resurrection. I thought, man, did this lady already rise from the dead and I missed it somehow? But we say, no, I, I believe heaven is a place with no sorrow and no pain, but I don't believe you've got that resurrected body yet, that glorified body. I, I believe you're in a spiritual presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we twist scripture to make ourselves feel better. We also twist scripture to give warning. When we fear, when the world looks like it's falling apart, can I say this? This is just chapter 2032 of the world been falling apart for 2,000 years. This is just another chapter in that book. This is not new. The New Testament believers that we will see in First Thessalonians already believed that the, the Lord was coming soon. They believed that the earth was falling apart. They were being killed for their faith. So they understood what real persecution was. So let's look at the Word of God today. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses, a very familiar passage, and then we're going to be all over the Bible. And so I encourage you, get a Bible out. Make sure you've got your fingers ready to be turning quickly. And uh, the first point and the last point, I'm just going to give you to you briefly, it's the middle that we're going to get some meat of the scriptures, and we're going to look at some scriptures today that will help us understand when does this rapture take place. Here, here's the thing. Can I, I'm going to give you the, the conclusion or the summary right up front. I'm not worried about any mark of the beast, because I'll be gone. I'll be in heaven with the Lord. I believe the rapture of the saints will take place, and I'm not going to have to worry about any of that stuff. I'm not going to have to worry about the beast. I can show you that from uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm not going to have to worry about the man of sin. Will I know or have a perception in my heart or mind who I think he may be? That's possible. There might be, emerge some world leader, and we go as Christians, oh, I don't know, I think this. This guy's got all the tendencies heading in the direction. He fulfills all these biblical prophecies about him. And we may have that discernment, but we will not know for sure until the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit leaving, he who letteth let, and we're taken to heaven, and then the man of sin is revealed. And so we may have an idea or perception, but we will not have certainty. And by the way, that's all in God's hands anyway. And so let's look at the Word of God today. First Thessalonians Chapter 4. By the way, you say, well, do you use a debit card? I sure do use a debit card. Do you believe it's the One World Bank? I have no idea. Do I scan my groceries at a UPC scanner? You have no choice. Or you don't eat. Every, pretty much every store, ha- even the dollar store has them, right? And so, yeah, I, I, I scan there. Here's what I know. Nothing I do can change God's timeline. Nothing. Nothing I can do changes God's plan. Nothing. Listen, if if the government of the United States says we're going to put a chip in the arm of every American citizen tomorrow, that does not change one iota, God's timeline. God is moving according to his will. I... I, I I think he sometimes sits in heaven and laughs at us. While they think that that's going to change things? Come on, I'm in control. We keep saying God is on his throne. And yet we think we have some sort of great mystic power over his plan and over his will. Listen, let me give you a guideline of what we should do and what we should not do. If it's sin, don't do it. That's it. Most of that's laid out pretty well in black and white in the Word of God. And so let's look at the Word of God today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Can I give you some context very quickly? You say, why is Paul having to write this? Because they believe the return of the Lord could be any minute. Now think about that. You're sitting in a worship service, the apostle Paul's preaching the word of God in Thessalonica and you're excited about what's going on and and he constantly is reminding you, Jesus said, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. John 14, that's some good preaching. Maybe the Apostle Paul is preaching what John has given to us in the Word of God, and he's heard that principle of the rapture, and obviously he knows of it. And so he's speaking about the Lord returning, and he's talking about any day now the Lord could return. It is imminent. We are to watch and be sober, he will say. And the church of Thessalonica has a funeral. And their hearts break, and they think, did he miss it? That one we just laid in a grave, did he miss out on this blessed hope and the glorious appearing of a great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? And he says, no, no, let me, let me quell your fears. He says, let me tell you about the dead in Christ. He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, listen, shall not prevent them which are asleep For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Heavenly Father, we pray that in fact we be comforted with these words. But Lord, also today, I pray that you challenge people with these words. Perhaps there's somebody here that's not ready if the Lord were to come today. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts and help them to understand their need of having a relationship with Jesus Christ, putting their faith in him and being saved by his wondrous grace, that they can be reconciled to God. Help us, Lord, to make that plain today. May the Spirit of God make it even plainer. May it convict hearts and speak to people. Father, we do pray that you would help us also to gain clarity. Understand that as a child of God, if there's anything going on in the world today that, that points to that tribulation period, that is, that is paving the way for some of these things to take place, Lord, we ought to rejoice because our redemption draweth nigh. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that it would cause us to work harder. Help us to know that any moment Christ could come and our loved ones would be without. We must get the gospel to them. I pray that it would provoke holy living. Lord, if Jesus were to show up right now, what would he see in our hearts and lives? So Father, I pray that you speak to our hearts. Lord, I need desperately your your help as we're going to go through a lot of scripture and more of a teaching time this morning. Would you keep my thoughts straight? Help me, Lord, to say only those things which you would lay upon my heart, and may the Spirit of God teach us, each and every one of us, these important principles of Scripture. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me me engage you in an exercise this morning. If you are sitting with somebody, uh, let's do this. I want half of you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You're already there. And if you're sitting with somebody, I want you to turn to John chapter 14, all right? So each of you will have a Bible open to a different passage that you can share with one another, all right? So if you're sitting with somebody, one of you is go to John 14, one of you is go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to show you something that the Holy Spirit did. You say, what do you mean? Understand this, when Paul is teaching the church of Thessalonica, he did not yet have the gospel of John. It had not yet been put in pen to paper. It had not yet been widely circulated in any way, shape, or form. And so, what the Holy Spirit used Jesus Christ to teach us, now the Apostle Paul is teaching us the very same thing, almost, almost thought by thought. He said, Well, why is that significant? Because the Holy Spirit did that two different periods of time in two different continents. And in a way that teaches us a very exact identical doctrine. I think it's important that we see this. And so let's look this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and John chapter 14, verse 1. So if you're in John chapter 14, share it with your partner right now. The particulars of the rapture. Let's look this morning, first of all, at the particulars. What is going to happen when the Lord sounds his trumpet and meets us in the clouds? I want you to notice the parity between the two. First of all, we see comfort. Comfort. John chapter 14, verse 1. Look at those first words. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Now look at 1 Thessalonians. Look to your partner. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I will not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not. There's a comfort there. He says, I, I want to set uh, some myths aside. I want to make sure that you understand that the rapture is a blessed thing. It's a glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. It is not something to be dreaded or feared. Instead it's something that we are to watch and be sober and be ready for and we look for the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. And so in John chapter 14 he says, let not your heart be troubled. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 he says, that ye sorrow not. So we see the comfort that is involved in this doctrine. But secondly we we see his coming verse 3 of chapter 14 he says let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe it's also in me and my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you what's it say next I will come again Jesus is coming listen boy that got Paul excited anyway Jesus is coming And that that is the hope of every believer. Listen, I don't know about you. The chaos that we see in the world makes me more hopeful that Jesus is coming. It gets me more excited about the return of the Lord. And we see the prophecies that fulfill all around us. And we know this for a fact. Listen, I'll just throw this in. There is no other biblical prophecy that must take place before the rapture everything has been fulfilled israel has become a nation and we see that even in 1967 she began to bear fruit and pour forth leaves as she regained her biblical borders at the six day war on and on we could go about israel and by way by the way that is the focal point not north america we see something happen in north america and we think oh my the lord is coming no no think israel think israel now, notice the next thing we see the coming, the comfort. We see the coming of the Lord uh, in First Thessalonians four sixteen. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I will come again, and then we see thirdly a catching away. The Bible says in John fourteen verse three, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now, that that dispels some other tribulation rapture myths, and we'll we'll talk about those a little bit later on. But where I am, we are going to be taken to where Christ is. We are going to meet him in the clouds. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, Behold, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So we see there's comfort, there's a coming, there's a catching away. But I want you to notice uh, the fourth thing, there's a change that takes place. A change that takes place. Now, we won't see this in John 14, but look at verse 16. The dead in Christ shall rise first. He said, where do you see a change? I, I've been to funerals where there's an urn up at the front. Have you ever seen that? I don't think when, when the dead in Christ shall rise that a bunch of ashes are going to fly up. There have been people that have died at sea, shipwrecks. Their bodies decayed, eaten. There are those that have lain in a grave for hundreds of years. And they're nothing but dust. Dust. I I did a funeral several years ago at a cemetery in Toronto, and they did not have a vault. They didn't use a vault. So they just laid the wood casket in there, and they had rules about the wooden casket. It, It could only have a certain type of lining and all this because the cemetery believed in ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And so they had no vault to preserve the body or anything like that. And so that body has turned to dust. The wood is decayed. The bones are gone. There's a change that takes place. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us all about it. He says that in the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15 is a, a book about resurrection. So turn there, if you will, and look at chap, verse 42. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll begin reading in verse 42. I hope you can keep up with me this morning. And I would encourage you when we get to the next point, write some things down. Get some, your pencil out and start studying the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Listen, it is sown in corruption. You don't get any more corrupted than dead. That's it. That's the end of the line. The body is sown in corruption, but listen to this. It is raised in incorruption. That's perfection. How many of you know that your body has been corrupting even while you're alive? How many of you can feel it? Every day, the aches and the pains and the, the things that don't... Uh, how many of you have said this in the past? You know, when I, when I was 20 years old, I, I, I broke a bone and it healed in three weeks and I was back to work. And, but now it takes months. We are corrupting. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Look at verse 43. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Now jump down. Verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality." So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord." I like his little challenge at the end. Just keep fighting, because even if you die, you're going to come back better. You'll be translated. You'll be made anew. What a wonderful blessing to know. Now listen, somebody has said this. We are sown in corruption. We are raised in incorruption. The Bible calls it a perfect body. Think about that, being perfect. Did you know that the Bible teaches there's no women in heaven? I don't know if you knew that. Because we're all made perfect, so we're all men. One, right? And the Bible says when they opened the last seal, there was silence in heaven for the space of half an hour. So I suppose there can't be women. We're going to be changed. I look around the room today and I see canes and wheelchairs and, and all these things that hinder our bodies. One day we'll be made perfect. Heart problems gone. Cancer defeated. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, will call us and change us. Now look back in John 14 and 1 Thessalonians 4. We will continue with the Lord. We will continue with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about, in verse 17, So shall we ever be with the Lord. John 14, verse 3 says that where I am, there ye may be also. Here's the good news. You will never fall away from God again. You'll forever be with the Lord. That's what happens at the rapture, the particulars of the rapture, the catching away to meet the Lord in the air. But let me give you the second thing this morning, and we'll spend a little time in the scriptures here. I want to talk secondly about the pre-tribulational rapture. The pre-tribulational rapture, the timing of the rapture and relation, uh, to the tribulation period. Now, we're going to put a chart up on the screen, and we're going to show you some of the different theories, uh, but I want you to notice uh, what I believe and what I preach and teach and what we hold as a church here at Bethel Baptist is we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, and I'll show you why. There's also what's called a mid-tribulation rapture. There's a post-tribulation rapture, and there's a couple more. There's also called the pre-wrath rapture, which happens around 62 weeks of Daniel's 70th week, and, and then there's also what they call a partial Rapture we're only the proven, the good people, they're the ones that get taken uh, in, the, in the rapture. And so uh, but First Corinthians 15, let me just do away with the partial rapture. First Corinthians chapter 15 says, "We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, not just some, all. All right. So let's, let's look at this this morning and, and turn, if you will, to John chapter 14. Everybody can turn there now. John chapter 14, we're going to look at some of the scriptures. Now, the tribulation period. You say, what is that? It is known throughout the word of God as many different titles, all right? In some places, uh, in Daniel especially, it's the 70th week of Daniel. Uh, It is called the day of God's wrath. It is called the day of God's great wrath. It's called the day of the Lord, the great day of the Lord. It's it's on and on, the day of Jacob's trouble in reference to Israel. And so there's many different names for it, but it all comes down to the 70th week of Daniel. And Daniel's weeks were weeks of years, and so it is a seven-year period. If you're wondering if that's true, you can go to the book of Daniel and found, find out that it's broken into weeks there. It says 242-week periods. so the first half and the second half, and broken down. And so look at John chapter 14. And so I, I believe uh, in a pre-tribulational rapture. In relation to the, ra- the tribulation of the world, and especially Israel, I believe that the rapture will take place prior to that. Let me show you why. John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. I believe believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now look at the last one, the post-tribulation theory. There are people that believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will return at the end of a seven-year tribulation. That's because they've got Israel and the church mixed up. They've got them combined as one. They believe in replacement theology. What happened to Israel has to happen to the church. We don't believe that. We believe that we are living in the age of grace. They were in the age of the law. Praise the Lord. But notice what happens. They believe that church will go through the tribulation, and then the Lord Jesus Christ will rapture his church, the little green arrow going up, and then he will return as soon as we meet him in the air. He'll return and set the world straight with Armageddon and all those things that we learn about uh, entering into the millennial period. John 14 says I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house or what? many mansions where do you get to stay in your mansion? if we meet the Lord in the air and immediately we return with him why did Jesus build me a mansion? because for the thousand year millennial we'll be on earth God will rule Jesus will rule from Jerusalem the entire earth Where do we see our time in a mansion? It it seems silly for God to say something like that in Scripture and not give us the opportunity to have our... We'll never inherit it in a post-tribulational view. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, you, you say, is there a Scripture that says... I will return before the tribulation. No, we look at the scripture. We examine verse by verse. Understand this. Timothy, or Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I show you a mystery. In other words, God says, I need you to study to show yourselves approved. If you're going to understand the deeper things, you need to walk with me and be filled with the Spirit of God. So many Christians today don't understand the Bible because we aren't filled with the Spirit of God. We're not reading our Bibles. We're not praying like we ought to be. We're not studying the Word of God. And so we just come up with all these crazy theories like I'm a goat, not a sheep. And we misconstrue the Scriptures. Look at 1 Thessalonians. Chapter, I got talking and I didn't look. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is what we looked at a week ago Wednesday. And I would encourage you, if you have more questions, go back and watch that sermon on YouTube or on our live stream channel off our website. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. So Paul has just told the church of Thessalonica about the dead in Christ rising. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to be with the Lord in the air. And so now he says, they're wondering, okay, when's this going to happen? And Paul says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, I have no need to write unto you. Now there's a couple reasons I can think of why he may not write unto them. One, they already know. Or two, they don't need to know. It's in God's hands. And so let's explore the Word of God and see what it says. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now notice something very, very, very important. In chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he is speaking to who? The brethren, I, you have no need that I write unto you. Verse 2, for yourselves know. He's writing to the church at Thessalonica. He's speaking directly to them. Verse 3, for when who? They. For when they, somebody else. You don't, you don't research. If I'm talking to my wife, I say, I, I don't call her by the pronoun you, and then I say They. If I say they, I'm referring to another group of people. We're referring to another person. And so he says, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon who? It's in the Bible. I I might be picking at your pet doctrine right now, but I'm just reading the Bible. Sudden destruction cometh upon them, not you. You know... And I have no need to write to you because sudden destruction is coming on them, not you. It's not something you're going to have to worry about. Now keep reading. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are children of the light. And the children of the day, we are not of the night nor of darkness. He's saying, hey, there are two distinct groups of people here. They're children of the darkness. And when you live in the darkness, that day will overtake you as a thief. And sudden destruction will come upon them. But ye are children of the light. You don't have to worry about any of that. You're not of the darkness. You're not of that group. Don't worry about the times and the seasons. Watch and be sober. Verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. What is he saying? Those people over here that live in the light, Jesus is coming again. And you don't know the hour. You don't know when that's going to be. So be sober. Live holy lives. Because Jesus could come at any time. The imminent return of Jesus Christ. Now, listen, in a post tribulation rapture, there's no imminent return. From the moment the Antichrist makes a peace treaty with Israel and breaks it 42 months later, I can count another 42 months and know that the rapture's happening. It's not imminent. I don't have to watch and be sober. In a mid tribulation, it's very much the same. We know when 42 months has come to pass. How many of you ever had a car loan? You understand what 42 months means, 60 months, whatever. And you count those days off. You, you know how, how to count those things. You know, some of you are sitting here today and thinking, I know how many months it is to Christmas. We're, we're watching. We had baby watch for the last forever. It seems like a year now. We've had a baby watch going on around here. Babies popping up everywhere. And we all knew what nine months was. If we can start counting the dates, it is not the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Titus, Paul wrote to Titus and he said, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking for it. You wouldn't look for it if you knew the date. You just mark your calendar. It's imminent in return. So look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. For God... Hath not appointed, look at the pronoun there. What is it? Do you think us is referring to them or to you? It refers to whoever Paul is numbering himself with. Does that make sense? If I say us, I could mean me and the Ashby's, or I could mean me and Tina, or me and Ida. I could say us. So it's whoever he's numbering himself with. Paul would number himself with the church, the saved, the believers, those who are children of the light, not of the darkness. So he says this, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So we are not appointed to wrath, we are appointed to salvation through Jesus Christ. And what is he speaking of? He's speaking of the day of the Lord that's the context Took a look if you will at Romans chapter 5 Romans chapter 5 go backwards in your Bibles Romans chapter 5 and uh, write these verses down because we're going to move quickly verse 9 says much more than being now justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him wrath is the judgment of God it is that time, uh, the day of tribulation is called the day of God's wrath. We will be saved from wrath. First Thessalonians chapter 1. You're in 1 Thessalonians. Just turn back a couple pages if you held your spot. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. I hope you all go home with paper cuts. That's a good thing. Verse 10 says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Paul is telling the church of Thessalonica, one of the purposes for Jesus coming is to deliver us from wrath. That's what the rapture will do. It'll catch us away from God's wrath being poured out upon the world. Now, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Is everybody with me this morning? I'm going to be honest with you. I would far rather preach than teach. It's just that's in my heart and in my blood. Preaching to bring about a decision. Teaching's important, though. The Bible says we ought to be apt to teach. And I want you to get the important parts of Scripture here. And it is my prayer this morning, the Holy Spirit will turn it into preaching and challenge you about your walk with Christ. All right? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. The gathering together is obviously a reference to the rapture. That's when we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air and forever be with the Lord. Now listen, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. Have you ever read that and wondered what is he talking about? I've read that and wondered the same thing. Notice what he says, verse 2. The church at Thessalonica, again, he's having to reassure them because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he's telling them, Yeah, I know you just had a funeral, but don't worry about that. The dead in Christ shall rise first. God will not, uh, we will not prevent them which are asleep. Well, they'll go as well. Don't worry about that. But now, somebody has spread a false doctrine. Listen, that they are already in the tribulation period. And if you're a church, In Asia Minor, Thessalonica was around Turkey as today. If you were a church in Asia Minor and they were hauling you out of your church and lighting your body on fire to lamp the gardens of Nero, you would say, boy, the tribulation's here. You would think that. You could be easily persuaded that all hell on earth had broken loose. You, you, You could easily believe that. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be shaken in mind by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together in him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled. Listen, neither by spirit, small s. There had been a spirit of false prophecy come into their church. Somebody had taught them wrong, and that that is borne out by other scriptures in the book of Acts and in Thessalonians. We just don't have time to look at it today. There had been a false teacher, a wrong spirit in the church. And then he says this, or be troubled, uh, nor by word, nor by letter, notice that next word, as from us. He does not say a letter from us, he says a letter as from us. A letter that seemed like it came from us, as somebody wrote it and signed our name to it in order to mislead you. And so he says there's a problem going on here. He said, I want to reassure you of some things about the coming of the Lord in relation to this day of the Lord. Let no man deceive you by any means. Listen, for that day the tribulation shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed. The son of of perdition. Now, there's two things to unpack here. First of all, the falling away. I heard somebody say a little while ago, I, I just really believe that there's going to be, the Bible teaches there's a great revival in the end times. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches there'll be a falling away. The love of many shall wax cold. And I, and I think we will see pockets of revival. We'll see churches get on fire for God and people get saved and things will take place. But the Bible says, generally speaking, in a worldwide manner, we'll see a falling away. Notice what he says, secondly, and the man of sin, who is that? That is the Antichrist, the Antichrist, known as the son of perdition and the man of sin. And the Bible gives us some details about him, so we aren't mistaken. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Understand, the Apostle Paul did not have the book of Revelation. And yet he can see very clearly the same things that John is going to tell us about. He understands what the Holy Spirit is teaching him. He will sit in the temple and he'll show himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with, yet with you, I told you these things? And how now ye know what withholdeth. Listen. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now there's a lot of theories about verse 6 and 7. It says, And now ye know what withholdeth. In other words, you already are aware of what's holding this all back. What is stopping this from taking place? Remember what I said earlier? Not one thing you can do will change the plan of God. Not one thing. Not one thing this church will do will change the will of God. God could shut this church down tomorrow and and God's plan wouldn't miss a heartbeat. None None of that matters. And so when the Bible says, that which withholdeth, who is in control of the will of God? God is. God's in control. The only thing that is withholding this man of sin from being revealed and and the end times prophecies playing out in full, the book of Revelation, is the Holy Spirit himself. That's it. He says, And we know what withholdeth, that he, the Antichrist, might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he. In verse 6, it says, you know what? But now it says, he who now letteth. So now we know it's a person. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. Will let until he be taken out of the way. When is the Holy Spirit taken out of the way? Well, let me ask you another question. Where does the Holy Spirit dwell right now? You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. By the way, if you're a child of God today, uh, we hear the abortionists say this and we hear other people say it. My my body, my choice. No, friends, it's not your body. What know you not that you were bought with a price? Glorify God in your body. That's that's why Christians are so strong against abortion, because it's not our bodies. We belong to God. We are redeemed. We are purchased. And this is the very temple of the Holy Ghost. So if he is going to be taken out of the way, as it says in verse 7, that's us going. You say, well, can't he just take his Holy Spirit and leave us? No, because he said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. If he goes, I'm going. He will never leave me nor forsake me. So he will be taken, the Holy Spirit will be removed, the man of sin will be revealed, the Antichrist, and he will exalt himself and oppose himself to everything that is God and say that he is God as he sits in the throne. Let me give you a couple more very quickly. Write this down, Revelation chapter 6-19. through 19. You say, we're going to read all that? No. You go home and read it. Let me make this comment about it. Revelation chapter six through nineteen, you'll never see the church on earth; it's gone. Revelation chapter one, God told John the Revelator, "I want you to write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter." In Revelation chapter four and verse one, the Bible says that Paul, uh, John writes that a door was opened unto me in the heavens. And he said, I heard a voice that said, Come up hither, and I will show you the things that are here after.'" So from Revelation chapter 6 and on, he's talking about the future. The church age has ended. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the churches of Revelation. Chapter 4 and 5 are... Uh, kind of interludes and he's preparing us for the seals to be opened. But when God's wrath in Revelation chapter 6, that first seal is opened and the angel says, Come and see, and God's wrath has begun to be poured out on the earth, there is no church left. We do not see mention of it for the rest of the book of Revelation. That's it. It's gone. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10 talks about the imminency. We've already read that verse, but you can write it down. It talks about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. If we could count it off, if we could know the days or the, or the months we would be setting dates. Titus chapter 2 says, we are looking, we are watching uh, for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of great God and Savior Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 6 says, watch and be sober. Let me give you the last thing this morning. We've talked about the particulars of the rapture. We've talked about the pre-tribulational rapture. Why? I believe it's before the tribulation. Well, let me give you the purpose very quickly. I'm going to give you th- things just to write down. Our time is gone. <sighs> Number one, the purpose of the, resur- uh, of the rapture is the resurrection. Number one, just I'm going to give you five. The resurrection. I, I'm, I'm, t- I'm telling you what. I, I'm looking forward to that day where I'm perfect. You say, aren't you perfect now? I ask my wife. She'll tell you. No, none of us are. But listen, I'm going to be honest with you. More than the aches and the pains, and more than all those things that we suffer, more than grief and sorrow, I'll be so glad to be done with sin. That's such a battle. And don't sit there all pious saying, I don't know what you're talking about, preacher. Oh, you just lied to yourself. There's a sin. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, If but for the grace of God. We deserve hell. I'm looking forward to the resurrection. Second thing is, it's about our removal from this earth. Removal so that God can pour out his judgment upon the earth. We are not appointed to wrath. God is not coming to judge believers. He's coming to judge the sinful and the the fallen and those that have refused the word of God. It is about a reunion so shall we ever be with the Lord. Years ago, I was, I was preaching in a jungle church down in, uh, it was called a Dome Baptist Church, A-D-O-M, a Dome Baptist Church in the jungles of Africa. It was, it was kind of neat. And uh, I pastored at the time a church called Faith Baptist Church, and the Dome means Grace Baptist Church. And one of the guys came up, and he says, where are you from? And I told him, and he says, oh, okay, Faith, Faith Baptist Church. And As a matter of fact, we had sent some money to help them get some building materials to help them put up. And uh, they had all the blocks, so they hadn't built the building yet. They had all these blocks there, and they had a thatched roof over it and just open sides, and they were building over here a building. And, and uh, he, he began to talk about that a little bit, and he says, you know, he says, our churches will be forever knit together. He says, because faith and grace are inseparable. I got thinking about that in the context of the rapture. One day I'll meet those brothers and sisters in the air. We're, We're separated for a decade now, but one day we'll see them again. But more importantly, we'll be reunited with Jesus Christ and he will never, ever, will forever be with the Lord. It's a reunion. The fourth thing is this. Purpose of the rapture. By the way, all those three I just gave you come from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I don't want to say things without scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we read about all of them already. Reward. Reward. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but write it down. Talks about the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. I'm so glad because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I won't be judged for my sins. Amen. They are under the blood but we will be judged by our works. Wood hay and stubble will burn up. Gold, silver and precious stones will endure. God will give us a crown that we will cast at the feet of Jesus Christ. You see, in any other view we'll be taken post tribulational we'll be taken to heaven and come right back. There's no time for a bema seat. But the Bible very plainly says it's a time of reward. We'll get our mansion. Here's one more word that starts with the letter R, and I'm finished. Ready. Are you ready? If Jesus were to come today, do you know him as your Savior? Paul was writing to the church when he said, the voice of the archangel will sound, the trumpet of God will ring out, and ye which are alive and remain shall be caught up to forever be with the Lord. Jesus Christ said this, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And I go and prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Are you ready? Have you believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Listen, you see, what does this have to do with all the other things we were talking about, the mark of the beast and everything else? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the man of sin will be revealed after, after he who leteth lead is taken out of the way. After the church of the living God with the Holy Spirit presence in our lives is taken out of this earth, the man of sin will be allowed to have a rampage. He will institute the mark of the beast, not anything else. It's all in God's control. Jesus could come tonight. Are you ready? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. For the last 55 minutes, we've been racing to get through this message because I didn't want to leave anything out. And it's just my prayer right now that God would take even one of those points and just help you today. Maybe alert you to the fact that Jesus could come today. It is eminent maybe there's some Christians here today that need to to turn their lives over to living righteously and soberly in this present world holy living in the light of Christ's return why don't we stand to our feet while the instruments play if God has spoke to your heart would you come to this altar right now maybe there's one here today I'm not sure I'm saved I'm young and so I thought I had plenty of time that won't matter if Jesus comes today The Bible says, for those that have rejected the word of God, he will send forth a delusion so that if it were, they would even believe a lie. You may not get another chance if you don't accept him today. The invitation is always open with Jesus Christ. Whosoever will may come, is there one say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I were to meet the Lord today, if I would... Be accepted because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because I know him. Is there one that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray. Is there one? I won't call it your name, I promise. I'm not sure I'm saved. Let us help you today. Let me ask you this. Examine your heart and ask, Am I ready? Am I ready? Perhaps one of the most important things you'll ever take to a matter of self-examination. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Are you ready?